Thank you for joining us for Time in the Chapel. Each week we eagerly try to discover what God has been saying to us since time began and even further back than that. Sometimes it's right on the surface. Sometimes we have to dive a little bit deeper, but either way we do our best lean not on our own understanding in all our ways acknowledge him and expect that he will direct our paths so grab your bible prepare your hearts and minds hit the pause button long enough to pray for the help of the holy spirit and then join me as we open up the treasures of god's word i think if you're a regular here you know where I stand on God's Word. The whole purpose of the existence of Chapel Ministries is to share this amazing book with anyone and everyone, and I mean that. Every part of the Bible has something to teach us, but there are some parts of Scripture that just excel in communicating to us the desires of God's heart for His people. A shining example of this is the book of Romans. The book of Romans is considered by many to be the most important of all of the New Testament writings outside of the Gospels. Certainly, the most important of all of Paul's writings. One of the overriding themes in the epistle to the Romans, and when you hear that word epistle, it just means a letter. Each one of the epistles, including the epistles of Peter and the epistle of James, all of the letters, all the epistles were simply letters written by those apostles to the churches that they had established in order to build up the, the basis of doctrine. Well, the epistle to the Romans, one of its overriding themes, is that salvation comes by faith and not by works. And that comes out time and again throughout the entire letter. One of the most famous verses in all of Christianity, and a personal favorite of mine is Romans 1.17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, there are many other similar verses throughout Romans, Romans 3.22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. And then there's Romans 3.25, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith and his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, through the patience of God. And perhaps this theme in Romans is best summed up a few verses down in verse 28 of Romans 3. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Therefore, we conclude. We'll talk about that word therefore in a minute. Therefore, we conclude 
that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, there are many, many verses in this epistle that teach us this great truth. You are saved by grace. Indeed, the entire first half of Romans lays out the case for sola fide. You know that sola fide is the Latin theological term that means by faith alone. Paul, through 11 chapters, 11 chapters of Romans, declares that your salvation does not come by your own actions, but rather, you have to accept this. I mean, we, this is not our lesson for today. Sola fide is not our lesson for today. But you must accept this, otherwise nothing in God's word makes sense. Nothing. God, God is declaring through the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote, that faith does not come by your own actions, but rather your salvation is a gift of grace, unmerited favor given to you in response to your faith. And, that, and to those that received this letter originally and to every one of us since, this is indeed good news. You know the burden of trying to be sinless. Every one of us has said, I've got to be better. And every one of us has failed. And, and can I say that if you have failed just once in your effort to, quote, be better, because really, God doesn't want you to be better. He wants you to be best. Jesus indeed said we must have the righteousness of God. I, I've yet to meet anyone that says, well, my righteousness equals that of God, not a sane person. And if your righteousness does not, this is what Jesus says. This is what the Bible says. If you're going to be a Christian, this is what you must believe. Because this is what truth is. And, and when, when I say you must, it's not like I'm holding a gun to your head and say you must believe. I'm saying that if you call yourself a Christian and you don't believe this, then you're believing that Jesus is wrong and the Bible is wrong. And if you believe those things are wrong, then you can't be a Christian. You're something else. You might as well start your own religion. Those that are Christians follow the teaching of Christ, and Christ says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, exceeds, unless you have the righteousness of God. See, the Pharisees were very righteous. Paul was a Pharisee. They followed the tenets of the law, but they failed. They know they did. God has never failed in his righteousness. If you have failed once, and you rely on your righteousness to get you to heaven, if, if I were to say to you, are you going to go to heaven? And you'll say, well, I'm, I'm certainly trying. If you're trying, you're not going to ever make it. 
because trying implies you're not there yet or or trying implies that you've failed and now you're trying again if you failed once god will not allow a single moment of sin in his presence it's just that simple not a word of scripture teaches us any differently well, then how does anyone get to heaven? You must rely on Jesus's sinless life. He said, I will give that sinless life to you so you can go to heaven because I know you can't make it. God sent me here to exchange my perfect life for your imperfect life so that you can go to heaven with me. Make sense? Okay, if you accept that, then we can move on. Romans, the first 11 chapters, lays out the beauty of that graceful gift of salvation through the work of Christ. And it's good news. And by the way, the word gospel is an old Anglo-Saxon, or at least a contraction of the old English Anglo-Saxon word, Godspell. Godspell means good news. The gospel is the good news. The good news is you don't have to be perfect to go to be with God forever. You don't have to be perfect to be, quote, saved. Somebody else was perfect for you. You have been justified by your faith in that and not by your works. The book of Romans is the foundational document for the evangelical church and, of course, a regular topic of instruction on this program. So you're reading the book of Romans through the first 11 chapters, and eventually you come to chapter 12, verse 1, which says, I beseech you, therefore, following this 11-chapter discussion about salvation and how it came to you, and how you didn't earn it, and how it's a complete gift, and how you don't deserve it, I beseech you, therefore, Paul says, by the mercies of God, the mercies that he just spoke of, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's a bad translation. It's which is your rational service. So Paul spends 11 chapters telling you about the beauty of grace tells you that you have been saved, and this is how you've been saved. And then he comes to this part of the letter where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you know the mercies we just talked about, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your rational service. Up to this point in the letter, as I just said, Paul was laying out the facts for the doctrine of the good news, the gospel. Here now in the 12th chapter, Paul is calling on the brethren, which is just, it just means the community of believers, you and I included. He's calling on the brethren, you and I, to take what he has taught them through the first 11 chapters, that is, once again, the truth of grace and salvation, take that truth and do something with it. But you didn't know you had to do something with it, did you? 
Paul is correcting that. He is calling on us, the believers, to apply the gospel to our lives. Do you see now why I said you have to believe that? In the salvation of grace, sola fide, you have to believe that. Otherwise, this part makes no sense. Because this is a therefore. I beseech you, therefore. Now listen carefully, because what I'm about to cover next is a very key point. Paul structured this letter with purpose. He's clearly demonstrating that we are not to just absorb these principles as if all of this was solely for our personal entertainment, pleasure, and comfort. As if Paul is just telling, isn't this really need information to know? In chapter 12, Paul, after teaching the what of salvation for 11 chapters, starts to teach the why of salvation. I beseech you, therefore. Even in the English, this is communicating to us clearly that there is a therefore of salvation. Now, most evangelical and fundamental churches stop somewhere in chapter 11. They don't go on to further explain the therefore of salvation. There's no expansion on the purpose of salvation. It leads to people, it leads people to believe that salvation is just so we can go to heaven. That that's the only reason why we've been saved. That the moment that we get saved, then we just plop down in the heavenly waiting room, waiting for the bus to the gates of heaven. You know, we know very little of heaven. Yes, the word heaven and its Greek and Hebrew counterparts is one of the most mentioned words in the Bible. But for the most part, that's really all we get is a mention. It's mentioned but not described. In fact, if you look up the word heaven like I did this week, if you look it up, and you can look it up in secular as well as theological encyclopedias or dictionaries, you're going to find that there's really no consensus on how to define the word. Some will say that, well, heaven is where God lives. Some will say, well, it means some political sphere as expressed by the term kingdom of heaven. It's, it's where God administers the universe. Some say it's paradise. Some say it's where the angels live. Well, the problem is, it's all of these things. But what what is it like? Well, we aren't really told. Let me be more specific. There's no description of what heaven is going to be like for you and I. Jesus said that he was going to go away 
to prepare mansions. Now, that's, that's a really a poor translation. Really, it means rooms, dwelling places. But he didn't describe what those dwelling places were going to be like, and no one asked him. We don't know. We're pretty sure it's going to be great. But that's mostly because we know heaven is where God is, and we know heaven is where Jesus is. And so in that way, heaven will be blissful. But that's really more conceptual and not supported by facts. It's not wrong, but there are very few facts given in the Bible, into, given in the Bible as to what heaven will be like to us. So what does that tell you? What does the lack of information in the Bible about heaven tell you? What do I always tell you when we aren't told something in the Bible? I'll answer that for you. If we aren't told about something in the Bible, listen to me, then it isn't important to us at that moment. And by at that moment, I mean your purpose here. Heaven is not important. Not to God. God does not view heaven as important to you at the moment. He's promised you'll be there. But what he's saying by the lack of description is more to follow. Stay tuned. And yet, we somehow believe that salvation is merely to clear our way to heaven, to give us the opportunity be, to be heavenly creatures. Well, we're not heavenly creatures. We're actually earthly creatures. We were made from the dust of the earth. Now, we'll dwell in heaven. Heaven will actually be a different place in the end. There'll be a different definition of it. There'll be a blending of heaven and earth. We know that. The Bible does tell us that. But not yet. Heaven is not the purpose of salvation. Not the immediate purpose, anyhow. Well then, what is its purpose? Well, that's what Paul is trying to tell us. Chapter 12 of his letter to the Romans begins to lay out what naturally comes from salvation. And not once. From there on out, from chapter 12 on, when he's explaining the why of salvation, does he even use the word heaven? For 11 chapters, Paul teaches about something of tremendous value. He says that we've received a great blessing that we're about to learn carries with it a great responsibility. The responsibility is what comes first. 
Listen, the truth of God's word isn't just some shiny little trinket that we put away in our spiritual jewelry box only to be brought out on special occasions like Christmas or Easter. These are active things. This is a truth that is alive and vibrant and currently and constantly relevant that needs to be brought out in the open. You wear this precious treasure on the outside and you do that every moment of your life. It is what constrains us, is what Paul said. The love of Christ constrains us. It's what pushes us in the direction of wherever we're going. And if you're not there yet, you don't know him well enough yet. You haven't spent enough time with him if it's not dragging you in a certain direction. Listen, nothing that is contained in the gospel is meant to be just cold and barren speculation. Jesus once said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Fruit in the Bible symbolizes the consequences of action. That's what Jesus is saying here. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Much like the vines produce fruit, the branches produce fruit, the vine pushes the fruit out to the branches, so it is when we are in Jesus, it overcomes us, it overwhelms us. It is what we become. Listen, when there's fruit on that tree, nobody notices the branches. They notice the fruit. It's not a branch tree. It's a fruit tree. That's what Jesus is saying. When you have received properly the salvation, the life I've given you, when you receive that properly... It's going to push out of you, constrain you to produce fruit. Paul picked up that concept that Jesus spoke of about probably 20 or 25 years prior to him writing the letter to the Romans. Paul picked that concept up and expanded on it. He restated what our Lord said And that is that we are to do something with our association to him. The salvation that we receive is to produce fruit. Jesus said that through him we are to bring forth fruit. Once once we have become connected to him by our salvation, we are to produce, make something out of our relationship with the Redeemer. 
That's what Paul is telling us in Romans 12.1. Prior to this point in the letter, Paul spent time teaching the great principles of the gospel. Now, as the 12th chapter opens, the apostle is declaring that what preceded... I know I'm repeating myself. I know that. You've got to understand this. I, I suspect that even still this is falling on some deaf ears. They're not hearing it. Some because they don't want to. And some because it's just madness. They've never heard anything like this before. I thought when I got saved, I just sat around. When a slave was purchased in the slave market, does the master then sit them down in the kitchen and work for them? doesn't work that way. I'm bringing out the analogy of slavery because that's what we are. We're doulos. We're slaves of Christ. We've accepted the terms of slavery. He's brought us into our slave household, and now we're to work. Before, your works meant nothing. It didn't get you anywhere. Now, there's something to be done. doesn't affect your salvation. You're already saved. Make sure you understand that. You're not going to lose your salvation by working or not working, to be honest. If none of this, you, you accept none of this after your salvation, that doesn't mean your salvation is then ruined. It may not have been applied, but it's not ruined. Paul was declaring that the time has come to bear fruit. Now that you've become aware of the gospel and applied it to yourself for your, for your salvation, there's work to be done. It's time to roll up sleeves and become useful to God. Here Paul says to us, I beseech. Now this is an interesting change in tone. This doesn't come across as a commandment. This comes off as an appeal. I beseech you, I appeal to you, I urge you, therefore. Again, meaning what he is about to say will be a natural result or outcome or unfolding of the previous 11 chapters. What he is about to say will serve as the application of what came before it. His forthcoming or upcoming argument will use as its foundation the previous subject he had just delivered. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your rational, the King James says, reasonable service. that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. One of the most common words in the history of human religious thought of any kind is this word sacrifice. 
most systems of worship include some form of it, and they all learn from Adam and Eve. Let me just say that quickly. The basis of all religion happened, started happening at Adam and Eve. I'm just going to leave it at that. Why are there so, so many similarities in religion, anthropologists say? I'm going to tell you right now. Because all other religions are merely copies redoing what they saw Adam and Eve and everyone that came from Adam and Eve do. Therefore, most systems of worship include some form of sacrifice, of course, Christianity included. That surprises some people. I thought the sacrifices are over. That's not what Paul says. Now, of course, we're not grabbing the nearest ram caught in a thicket, throwing it on an altar, slaying it. But Paul is telling us that sacrifice continues to be a part of God's plan. So let's start to break this down a bit. So here in verse 1 of Romans 12, we are told that by the mercies of God, we are to present ourselves as a sacrifice. Now, this is one of the most pivotal verses on which so much relies. So let's talk about this first statement, by the mercies of God. First of all, the mercies of God are simply the compassions of God. God did not have to do this. In fact, if it was left to you and I, if the roles were switched, you and I would have turned our back long ago. We don't like to be offended. Look how we behave in traffic. Someone merely taps on the horn because we forgot that the, we didn't notice that the light turned green. And what do we want to do? We want to give them American Sign Language. God is offended every moment, and yet he has compassion on us. Thank God for that. So by the compassion, the mercies of God. Now, what does that mean, by? Well, it's the Greek word dia, and it can also be translated through, through the mercies of God, through the compassion of God. And the word is denoting a channel, a channel through which an act or an action can be accomplished. Paul is telling us here that there is a purpose for the mercies. There was a purpose for God's compassion other than the fact that he simply, simply loves us. He says we received those compassions from God for a reason. There's a dia, there's a through, there's a why. It is the mercies of God that clear the way for our action. Now, before Christ comes into our lives, the way through which we can channel our action for his sake is blocked. We could be the finest of human beings on the earth. And if we don't accept Christ, it's waste. It is the mercy, the compassion, the gospel that opens up the channels by which we can ch channel and focus our, our actions, our good actions for him. Our sinful nature prior to that bars the way to God. We are unable to interact with him, and that presents a problem for God. So God 
showed us compassion. He showed us mercies. The mercies being our restoration, our return, the plan of redemption. It's those mercies that opened up once again the way by which God and man can cooperate with one another, which was God's intention from the beginning. God created Adam and Eve for a reason, to be a companion. By the mercies, through the gate of His mercies, through the enablement of those mercies that we receive from God, we are now once again allowed or enabled, re-enabled to be an active part of God's life. And now our active part is to help Him to build up the kingdom of heaven on earth. It is His mercies that opened up that channel that allows our actions to have some impact, to allow us to reach what He has called us to become. When I was leaving high school and trying to decide where I wanted to go to college, one of the universities that I applied to was a very good engineering college in northern Michigan called Michigan Technological University. Now, like any other college, Michigan Tech, as it's called, published all sorts of marketing materials so that the prospective student would somehow be enticed to attend school there. If you have a child that's 16, 17, or 18 years old, believe me, you know what I'm talking about. Your mailbox are, mailboxes are stuffed with this marketing material. Well, one of the pamphlets that this particular college distributed for this purpose had a photograph of a student walking down what appeared to be a hallway with brilliant white walls. Now, when I looked at the photograph, I thought it looked a little strange because the student that was walking down this white hallway was bundled up like an Eskimo. Parka and gloves and wool cap. Well, upon closer inspection, you could see this wasn't a hallway. It was a sidewalk with snowdrifts taller than the student. Some time before the photograph was taken, some poor university employee had to dig a channel through the snow by which the students could go from the dormitories to the classroom. Someone had to clear the way so that the students can do what they were meant to do. That's what Jesus did for us, partially. Jesus' actions were a part of God's mercies that cleared our path. Christ's sacrifice, so clearly described by Paul in the first 11 chapters of Romans, opened up a channel so that God and man could once again work together. By the way, in case you're wondering, I did not attend Michigan Tech due directly to that terrifying photograph. I'm, I'm not sure 
what marketing genius thought, wow, what a great idea if we showed enormous snow drifts. That will get the people to come. Now, it wasn't the mere presence of the mercies of God that saves. Just having the channel there isn't the completion of the job. We must see and recognize and utilize that channel. If those students way up in Houghton didn't realize or even acknowledge that someone had shoveled that corridor, they never would have walked through it. We must be made aware of what God has done for us, and that's what this program is about, and that's what this lesson is about. Becoming aware of what God has done so that we can then travel through the mercies of God in order, in order for us to realize our true purpose in the kingdom. And then once we recognize, once we acknowledge and apply those mercies, Paul says we are called to action. Jesus himself said, For whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. We have been literally snatched from the jaws of death. Satan desired to have us that he may sift us as wheat. Yes, I know Jesus said that to Peter, but it applies to us. Where do you think you're going to go if you don't follow through the channels of the mercies of God? You're going to go to the service of Satan. It's because we are aware of the mercies of God. It is because we know that the channel was dug by Christ's sacrifice that Paul says we are to present ourselves. That is the therefore. We, therefore, we are to present ourselves. The word present in the original is a term commonly used for bringing an animal or other sacrifices to an altar. He is using the sacrifice motif purposely. He's appealing to the notion, the common notion of making offerings. He's saying we are therefore to present ourselves a sacrifice. But he puts a very clever twist on this. We are to present ourselves, he says, our body. So that means everything. That's denoting all of us. We are to present our entire physical existence. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, in ancient times, there were several types of sacrifices in the Hebrew system of worship. Well, the type that Paul was alluding to here and the people knew he was alluding to, because remember, the church in Rome, like almost all of the churches that Paul had established, they had as a religious core Jewish worship. They understood the, the Jewish system of worship. Paul knew they did. 
And so he uses these types of analogies to get them to understand what we are now to do, how we're supposed to move on beyond what the Hebrew system of worship was about. And that's the point of this person, this this message here, chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans. He's saying we must get beyond what was once the sacrificial system. There's a new sacrificial system, and this system consists of living sacrifices. Before, they were slain, and it was over. Their blood was spilled, and it was over. That's not the type of sacrifice. You're not just to give your life to Christ, and then now you're dead, and now you're just going to sit around like a carcass waiting for someone to sweep you off the floor. It's different now. We're living sacrifices. We're still sacrifices to please God. We're dedicatory. We're, we're, we're dedicated to the pleasure of God. Just like the, the, when the sacrifice was burned on the altar, the brazen altar, the smell went, would rise up and it was said to be a pleasant smell and it pleased God. It's the same thing. Our actions, our life, our thought, our prayers, our worship is supposed to be for the pleasure of God, not for ourselves, not for our wives, not for our families. Yes, those things are important. But like I said in the beginning, before we came on the air, we are to do what we do for God's sake. Paul says that unlike the sacrifices that were offered and then slain, we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. Holy being dedicated to him, acceptable to God, meaning in his way. Because that's our reasonable, our rational service. You see, when the children of Israel would bring their sacrifices. There's no rational, there's no rational to it. It's not, it's not a, I want to, I choose to. It was, you will bring the sacrifices. They were commandments. That's why Paul said, I beseech you. I'm no longer commanding you because now you should be making up in your mind that this is the right thing to do because you understand those first 11 chapters. You understand what you've been saved from. You understand the sacrifice that Christ made for you. Now I can rationalize in my service. It makes sense. I want to serve him. It's what makes me happy, if you want to call it that. It's rationalized. You're making the choice. You reasoned that this is the right thing to do. You reasoned that because of what he's done for me, I should serve him as a living sacrifice. I'm a vital, useful tool for the glorification of the Almighty. Now, this next point is critical to the understanding of your status as a living sacrifice. Listen to me. This is the only way this works. Whenever any sacrifice is given, the offerer is releasing all claim to whatever is being offered. 
any sense of ownership, listen to me, is relinquished at the altar. And this applies no matter what religion. There's no religion on earth that allows you to share the sacrifice between you and God. In ancient times, in the Roman system of worship, they used to offer weapons and tools to their gods. And you know what they would do before they presented it as an offering? They would break it. And sometimes these were beautiful, useful, wonderful works of art and craftsmanship. They would break those tools and offer them to their gods because they were not going to take those sacrifices back. They were no use to them anymore. That's what we are called to do when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Not a bit of it comes back to us. Now, I know that sounds like we're stating the obvious, but it's a point that must be fully comprehended in light of our discussion of Romans 12.1. When the ancient Israelites brought their offerings to be sacrificed, they didn't stand there and wait until some of it fell on the ground so that they could take it back with them. All of the item being sacrificed was transferred over to God. All of it. When you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, you are renouncing all claims, all title to yourself. Your Living status as a sacrifice is completely turned over to God. Otherwise, it's invalid. Otherwise, you didn't understand the first 11 chapters. Otherwise, you're not close enough to Christ yet. You don't understand it yet. Listen, don't take this action on if you don't fully understand what you're getting yourself into. John, don't tell him that. Just get him in the door. Don't tell him about this stuff. It'll drive him away. One time as Jesus was traveling through the countryside, a group of people came and they knew the miracles that he had been performing. And right then and there, they wanted to make him king. They wanted Jesus to become their king. And you know what he said to them? Okay. If you want to be my king, if you want me to lead your life, then you got to hate your mother, your father, your sister. Jesus, 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 don't tell them that. They're trying to make you king and you're pushing them away. Jesus said that God gave them everything. I'm here to tell you he doesn't want everything. He could accept those people, but it would be wrong. If you're not willing 
to give your entire life to Christ. He doesn't want you. That's harsh. I've never heard that. It's the way it is. Jesus loves the Father too much to bring him imperfect sacrifices. You'll just dirty up the halls of heaven. Does that mean I have to be perfect? No, somebody was already perfect for you. You just have to be perfectly committed. What if I fail? Lean not on your own understanding. He leads you from faith to faith. Those are scriptures. Listen. Unless you rely on him, your mistakes are going to cause you problems. If you rely on him and he's the one that's controlling your life, your mistakes will be absorbed in his love. But you can't do it without him or you'll fail. There's no such thing as a partial sacrifice. Part for God, part for me, part for the next world, part for this world. You cannot serve this world and God too. Because this world and God are enemies. You've heard of a double agent, haven't you? This is someone who serves both sides of the war. They're the most hated of all participants in war, the double agent is, because you can't trust them. They're in it for themselves. And what happens when a double agent is discovered? They're dispatched immediately. They are executed immediately. They are eliminated. God will have no double agents. You are to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? I want to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, it means living for Him. It means taking seriously what He says. It means studying His Word and applying it to your life. Well, I'm just a lowly baker. I'm just a plumber. How, how can I push forward the agenda of God? By being a plumber for Christ. By being a baker for Christ. I'm not saying make Jesus cookies. But stand up for the principles of God where you work, where you live, in your home. Make it important to you. Make the smile of God more important to you than the smile of man. Be willing to hate your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, and your own children, and your own life also. Be willing to do that because you know something bigger and better is ahead. 
You know what had happened in 11 chapters of Romans. If you don't know, study it. Get the book of Romans out. Get a good commentary out. Find out what Jesus did for you. Find out what the mercies of God are. And once you fully understand that, because the Holy Spirit will make you, He'll help you, you won't be able to help yourself. It will become natural. It will be the therefore of your life. God loves you. He's shown that to you as he has presented himself in the form of Jesus that Paul calls the mercies, the compassion, the compassions of God. That channel was open so that you could be of use to God. And when you look at what you've received from God, it will inspire in you such a feeling of overwhelming gratitude that you will rationally serve him. It will make sense. Those people back there in ancient Israel didn't make sense to them. I got to bring my best cow so that the, the priests can slaughter it and get blood all over the place. And then I'm without a cow. How is that going to help me? They didn't understand that. It was just mere outward show. Unfortunately, the Jews today don't recognize that it was just outward show. Of course, they don't do sacrifices anymore because the temple doesn't exist. But they still go through the motions of their religion. That's not rational. It's doing what a robot would do. That's not rational. You're not using your mind to choose to serve God. Once that makes sense to you, you're going to want to do anything and everything for him. Don't resist that. Even if you don't know what he wants you to do, praise him, worship him, pray, ask him Tell me what you want me to do. Show me where you want me to be. You've been given a channel for your sacrifice by the mercies of God. It's now time for you to recognize that and turn to your rescuer and offer to him your redeemed life. So today, like Paul, I'm calling on you. I'm calling on all of us to renew our commitment to present ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God that will rise for His pleasure and His pleasure alone. You've been listening to Time in the Chapel, a weekly program dedicated to bringing you in-depth biblical study. Join us again next time as we search Scripture to learn more about God in your life and you in His plan. Time in the Chapel is a service of Chapel Ministries. Chapel Ministries is a non-denominational ministry with a mission to feed hungry souls. Please consider supporting this program financially. For more information, please visit our website at www.timeinthechapel.com or email us at info at 
be sure to look for us on Facebook by searching for Chapel Ministries. Click follow to get all of the latest information.